This is the Design Feeling Podcast with your host, Nirish Shakya. Hello, hello. Happy New Year. Hope you managed to get some rest and recharge over the festive break. And hopefully managed to also make some time to just do absolutely nothing. See, for me, it's one of those few weeks of the year where I don't feel guilty doing nothing. And I I know doing nothing is crucial for creativity, despite what our schools and work have taught us. But it still makes me feel anxious when I'm doing nothing. But yeah, something that I'm trying to be more aware of within myself and just let myself just do nothing. Anyway, this is the last episode of season two of the Design Feeling Podcast. See, when I started the podcast back in January last year, I had no clue that in less than 12 months, I would have recorded more than 1,200 minutes of audio, which would be downloaded more than 5,000 times across more than 50 countries around the world. And these numbers have been absolutely mind-blowing to me. But what's been even more satisfying is receiving messages from so many of you saying how an episode helped you see things differently, or maybe try out something new, or even feel less alone in the industry. So thank you so much for listening in, for your support, and for all the, the kind words of encouragement that you've given me throughout the year. I really feel grateful to have this opportunity to make even the smallest of impact, to bring the focus back on the human doing the human-centered design and increase your self-awareness, creative confidence, and meaning. Thanks for joining me in this journey. And for this final episode of season two, I wanted to share some of my top learnings from the last 12 episodes of this season. And who better to kick off season two than design leader and proud introvert, Tim Yeo. I, for a long time, tried to pretend being that picture of what society told me a leader was like. And it was tiring. And that's part of the reason why I started The Quiet Achiever, because I knew for myself that there's a different picture of what a leader could look like. And it doesn't always have to be that extroverted picture. And I want to be able to show other people who are on that journey to realize that being who they are is okay. Tim definitely made me realize that leadership is not about being this loud, extroverted leader with a big personality. You can still lead people quietly. And in fact, empathy has been ranked as one of the most important leadership skill. And empathy certainly requires a lot of active listening. So embrace your introversion and use it as a superpower instead of pretending to be an extrovert. In fact, what we need more in creative teams and in the workplace is the authenticity that comes from your own self-awareness. In episode two, I had a chat with Courtney Carlson, the founder and CEO of the mental health app, Paradigm. So I discovered that actually I've got to solve my own problems. And the role of the therapist is to help ask me the right questions. And what I found was that it was a combination of things that worked. Self-reflection, a little bit of meditation, mindfulness, but also actually asking myself deliberate questions. Courtney stressed the importance of adopting a more proactive role in your own mental health journey. Because what works for someone else might not work for you. See, so often we rely entirely on therapists and 
books and apps in the hopes of improving our mental health. But what Courtney was suggesting was that it's also very important to bring more intentionality of our own into the process, just to help us find out what works for us and what doesn't. One thing that I've recently started doing is capture my own random thoughts in bed, especially if I randomly wake up in the middle of the night. See, before I used to just keep on thinking about these thoughts and I used to find it really hard to go back to sleep. And I also tried, you know, being mindful and observing my breath and my sensations, you know, things that have worked in other situations, but it didn't really work for me in that context. But what I started doing instead was I just pulled out my phone and I started just capturing those thoughts. And then at the end of the week, during my weekly review, I would cluster all those thoughts that I've captured and I'll start to see patterns. And one of the patterns that I started seeing was how much my mind is worried about things I need to do in the future. And I realized that a lot of this, for me, comes from my own upbringing where I was rewarded for attaining future goals rather than living in the present moment. And whilst I can't change my deep-set conditioning overnight, what I found was that just acknowledging and capturing and clustering these thoughts have really helped me make sense of them and, and calm them down a bit. So my challenge to you is find a technique that works for you in resolving the unique challenge that you're facing. It doesn't have to be what someone else is doing. If journaling doesn't work for you, don't do it. If meditation doesn't work for you, then don't do it. Do what works for you. Episode 3 was about solving problems that matter with Ben Pekotic, who's a designer, coach, and founder for social enterprise Dynamic 4. How might we balance our need for contributing to positive change for the people around us, communities, and our home planet, while also being financially successful and looking after our own personal well-being and sustainability as part of that. How do we bring all of those elements together into a cohesive way of being and doing things rather than being constant trade-offs that are at either end of a fulcrum? My biggest takeaway from this chat was to reframe what it means to make money and make an impact as a designer. I used to see them as two ends of a scale that needs to be balanced. But Ben was like, what if the balance is not the right word? What if it's about blending them together? Kind of like the, you know, the, the ikigai circles. What you're good at, what you're passionate about, what the world needs, and what you're going to get paid for. So how might you start to incorporate more of those in your life as a designer this year? In the next episode, I spoke with my former boss, founder of WebCredible, and the author of the book, Human Powered, Trenton Moss. Everyone has anxieties, some like that, some other ones. And if you can just help acknowledge that person, the anxieties they may be having, and if you're wrong, they'll just say, no, 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 it's fine. Just, just whatever, it's no problem. That's fine. Mm. It doesn't matter. You've really shown that you, you care, even if they say, no, no, it's fine. Don't worry about it. In this episode, Trenton talked about how it's so important to have emotional intelligence as part of your skill set in your toolkit as a designer. And my highlight from this episode was learning how to prepare for a meeting you're running by making sure that people are not just physically present in your meeting, but also mentally and emotionally there. See, so often we think our job is just to send out an invite and gather people. But we don't think about 
what people are bringing into the meeting and whether they're in the right headspace to do their best work. You know, they might have had an argument with their spouse or, you know, they might have had um, an accident on the way to work or they might have been late for something before the meeting, right? And they might be arriving flustered. And when you're not in the right emotion, you know, even though physically you're there, emotionally and mentally you might not be, you might be somewhere else, right? What one of the things that Trenton was saying was that when people are not there with you emotionally, then a lot of that can come out as bad behaviors. Like, for example, people checking their emails instead of listening to you or not paying attention or being distracted. And then you finish the workshop thinking you've done a great job, but nothing really happens after the workshop. And how often have we seen, you know, meetings after meetings, we bring people together, you know, we get psyched up, we do lots of amazing workshopping and whatnot, but then there's no traction after the workshop because people have not really bought into the whole process. So definitely check out the book Human Powered by Trenton Moss if you want to learn about some of some really good practical techniques that you can use straight away to improve your emotional intelligence at work. In episode five, we had innovation consultant, neurodiversity advocate, and social entrepreneur, Matthew Bellringer. Diversity is most strongly correlated with successful innovation than anything else in organizations. It's not very efficient, actually. It is more efficient to have a completely homogenous workforce. But that becomes a monoculture, like a field full of a single crop, that if one small thing is a problem for one of those, it's a massive problem and you lose everything. My aha moment in this chat was learning how we're all neurodiverse in some way and how important it is for organizations to welcome and nurture that neurodiversity if they are to be truly innovative. And that makes neurodiversity not just a morally right thing to do, but also a competitive advantage. And Matthew has kindly shared some additional research studies on this, which you can find in the show notes. Next up, I spoke with advisor and coach to CEOs and recovering neuroscientist and UXer, Joe Leach. If you're playing the game by other people's rules, like I'm a mid-tier designer, therefore I, am, I only earn $70,000 a year, $60,000 a year. To be, I need to be a senior designer to earn $90,000 a year, whatever. You're mm. never going to ever break out of that. You're mm. never going to get to the point where you could be earning a lot more money and a lot more of an interesting job because you're just playing by those rules. And yeah. reality is, yeah. it doesn't always have to be like that. In this episode, we talked about what is the value that you bring to your organization or your client as a designer. And that it's not just your craft. It's a lot deeper than that. It's your ability to understand how the business makes money. It's your ability to build connections with people and and solve problems together. It's your ability to uncover the truth. It's your why that brought you into design in the first place. And it's so easy to lose track of all that when you've been in the game for a while and especially caught in the busy trap. Definitely check out this episode if you'd like to reframe your perspective and see things a bit differently. And while you're at it, I'd really appreciate if you could give this podcast a follow on whichever platform you're using to listen to this podcast right now. That is if you already haven't done so. And if you can, please do share it with one friend who might find it useful this year. 
It really helped get this podcast out to more people. So thank you. For episode six, I invited professor of interaction design at the University of Sydney and the author of the book, Design, Think, Make, Break, Repeat, Dr. Martin Tomic. We as designers are really responsible for the well-being of future generations. And the reason we are suggesting this is that it encourages long-term thinking. So rather than just thinking about the next quarter or how can I quickly make a lot of money with this big idea or app or product, thinking about, okay, what does this mean for future generations? I have to say, this chat really expanded my field of vision as a human-centered designer. It made me question, are we maybe a bit too human-centric and not aware of the needs of the non-human stakeholders such as animals and plants and the environment? And Martin also talked about creating non-human personas to help people empathize with them. For example, if your product has an impact on, let's say, birds in the area, then interview a bird expert to understand the pains and gains of the birds and create a persona out of that. Martin and his team are doing some much-needed work on the space that he calls life-centered design. So if you're a designer that cares for more than just the products and the pixels that you design, definitely listen to this episode. My next guests were board game designers, group facilitators, and founders of the board game Cozy Juicy Reel, Sophia and Jed Lazar. What builds trust ultimately is empathy is that when people can share shared experiences and often the feedback we get at events is, oh, like we're all different people, but we ha- we share the same kind of experiences. We all have tough times, we all have positive times. And, like, and just having that understanding builds trust because it's like, oh, you're, you're another human, you're like me. In this episode, we talked about Sophia and Jet's journey designing this board game to help people have more meaningful conversations. What was my key takeaway? Well, I learned that human-to-human conversations happen in three layers. Cozy, juicy, and real. First, you have to get people cozy. Ask them easy questions that they can answer easily. And then they might be more ready to be a bit more juicy, where people share a bit more about themselves. And then the third and the deepest and the final layer are questions that help people reveal their deeper selves. See, small talk is great, but it only scratches the surface of the first layer. If you really want to build deeper connections with friends and colleagues, you need to use the right prompts and questions to help you do that. Another thing that we talked about was how we all know that empathy and vulnerability are really important in organizations to make people feel more connected. But what Sophia and Jed were saying was that, first of all, we need to make people feel safe to be vulnerable, to empathize. And this is where a board game like Cozy Juicy Real gives people the container with a shared framework and rules and also clear expectations and boundaries, which makes them feel safer because there are less uncertainties to deal with in that interaction. And why is this so important at work? Well, we spend the vast majority of our waking hours with our colleagues and I'm sure we both agree that we want to make as many of those hours as enjoyable and meaningful as possible. And building connections with people builds that shared meaning with them. In episode 9, I was joined by leadership coach, author and podcaster, 
Robbie Swell. So a really important lesson that I have learned is confidence and competence come after. And so for me then, the question becomes, what is the minimum viable amount of time that you could spend each week on essentially the important but not urgent stuff? But it's about obsessing about what's what's enough. It's just enough of that, not what's as much as possible. I wanted to chat with Robbie because I tend to procrastinate a lot when it comes to creating and sharing content. See, for the majority of my life, I've been paralyzed from taking action by my own perfectionism and imposter syndrome. But I learned these three important insights from Robbie. Pick a minimum viable time that allows you to do just enough. And for Robbie, it was 12 minutes a week, not more, not less. And that was dictated by the length of his train ride to work. Create safe experiments. Experiment with less time than you think you can do it for. Experiment with a new technique in a safe environment. For example, try asking a question you haven't asked before in a meeting. But maybe ask that in a meeting with some friendly colleagues. Thirdly, let go of expectations once you release something out into the world. This is hard for a lot of us because, you know, chasing metrics is so ingrained in us. You know, things like likes and downloads and you name it. And this is about being aware of the things that you can control and those you can't. You can control your effort you put into creating something, but not the outcome of how people will react to it. But this also comes from a lot of experience. So if you feel stressed about not getting the likes and the comments and the shares, just be aware of it. It's okay. It's a very natural reaction for a lot of us. And just give it its own space. And just let it pass. In episode 10, I invited back design leader and coach Kate Pincott. When there's a storm, don't build walls, build windmills. It's not saying that we're happy with the situation and we like it. We've accepted this is happening. And now we can start to think, okay, what am I going to do with this? What are my strengths? What are my values? What are my motivations? What are the things that make me curious? And how can I use those to add value to this storm that we're in? What is my version of a windmill? We saw a lot of layoffs happening in the tech industry last year. And I know many of my friends who were laid off as well. And for many of us, our automatic reaction after being laid off is to rush into finding another job. And yes, some of us have very valid reasons to do so. You know, we've got to pay the bills and keep a roof over our head. And some of us are also sponsored by our employers, which allows us to stay in the country like I used to be. But if you're in a position where you're not desperate for another role, then Kate suggests taking a tiny bit of time to reflect and recalibrate before looking for another role. One of the things that came up in our conversation was that crisis can be an opportunity. But for us to be able to see a crisis as an opportunity, then we need to stop, reflect, and reframe our perspective. And in this episode, Kate gives a step-by-step guide to do just that. My next guest was an Iranian-born architect and a recent UX design graduate, Dorsa Mokhtari. You always have this feeling on the back of your mind that even if I'm a better designer than this person that is like originally from UK, who are they gonna choose? Is it gonna be me? Are they gonna like treat us based on our designer skills? 
or abilities, or is it going to be based on who has been here first, basically? It was absolutely fascinating to see things from the perspective of someone who's not just new to the industry, but also new to the country and the culture and the challenges that they face when looking for their first UX role. One thing that Dorsa said that I found super interesting was how sometimes she feels that native speakers give long-winded answers to something that non-native speakers would just get straight to the point. See, I'm not a native speaker of English myself, and for many years I felt less capable than my native peers. But listening to Dorsa made me realize that I wasn't worse or better than my peers. I was just different. And I made my team more diverse by being different. So the next time you're in a meeting or an interaction where you're starting to become conscious of your own language barrier, remember that you are making your team more diverse. And if you're a hiring manager considering hiring someone from a different background, I'd say go for it because it might help you and your team see things differently. For my penultimate episode, I had a candid chat with three friends who are all design leaders and creatives. Egle Bellunaite, Rafa Prada, and Sinem Erdemli. As designers, we really have to become comfortable with uncomfortable feelings and uncomfortable situations. Smooth teams or smooth running teams, it's not that they wouldn't have conflict. I think it's good that they have conflict. It's what they do with that conflict. I've always think that design is a medium. Uh, design would never be the end in itself. So we all contribute in our own ways if we don't listen to each other. No getting there. Mm, Definitely that. no getting there. My key takeaway from this chat was that design is about people more than the craft. And that it starts with actively listening to your colleagues to understand their goals and needs. And also not being too tied to your methodology that you bulldoze your way through other people's ways of working. And all of this comes with a lot of uncomfortable situations and, and feelings. And it's really important for us as designers to learn to be comfortable with them. Well, that's it for season two and the first year of the Design Feeling Podcast. I seriously cannot thank you enough for tuning in and giving me so many words of encouragement throughout the year. This has certainly been a collaborative effort between you, me, and the guests. And big thanks to my team as well. My illustrators, Isa Vicente and Kim Habib, my editor, Neil McKay, monologue coach, Sam Moody, camera coach, Kieran Morris, and my design feeling crew of advisors. We have some exciting topics and guests lined up for season three. I'll push you even further towards greater self-awareness, creative confidence, and meaning, and help you discover more of the human behind the human-centered designer. Until then, take care and see you next time.